started off there. He started off with Pastor Mahataya praying to Lord Vidayaka that our learning progress should not have any obstacles along the way. He then offered our obeisance to our gurus. And uh, the reason is that in the spiritual journey, Guru is the most important uh, person. And Bhagavad Gita itself will bring that around very, very explicitly. Uh, the role of a Guru, the role of a disciple, and how one needs to surrender unconditionally to the Guru to make progress in this direction. And uh, we pray to Lord Krishna, without whose grace, not be blessed enough to be in this class today uh, to learn Bhagavad Gita. So, hearing some background, so those of you who are not on mute, please go on mute. Thank you. So, it's a matter of great luck or grace, uh, whatever you want to call it, that we have got this rare opportunity to learn this Bhagavad Gita. So, we should consider ourselves extremely lucky. Now, the Vedas are not the name of any book. They refer to the eternal knowledge. Eternal means timeless. They have been existing since beginning. Beginning of what? Beginning of creation. When the Lord created this world, at that time, He first revealed the Vedas in the heart of Brahma, who is the creator, who is the first born, so to speak. And then these Vedas have passed on thousands of years by oral tradition. You know, each, there is no original manuscript anywhere. So the Guru passed on to the Shishya, and then the Shishya passed on to his Shishya, and so on. That's how the chain has continued, and that's the reason, as Meshti also pointed out last week, that it's also called as Shruti. Means knowledge received by hearing. That's why it's called as they are also called as Apaurusheya. Apaurusheya means it is not created by humans. It was given by the God Himself. So for this reason in Indian philosophy, the Vedas are considered to be the ultimate authority. If there is any conflict, anything to be resolved, we use uh, the Vedas as the ultimate authority to set the uh, tone and resolve any conflicts or misunderstandings. Now what happens, the Vedas are very elaborate and to further you know, explain the meaning of the Vedas, many more scriptures have been written. Now these scriptures, they don't deviate from the main message of the Vedas, but they, uh, the, the purpose of writing the scriptures is to give more interpretation. To, to, the attempt is to expand the knowledge which is contained in them. And together all these scriptures we refer to very you know, simplistically as Vedic scriptures. Now the Vedic scriptures are vast. Three of them specifically or traditionally have been called as Prasthanatrai. This was again touched by Umeshti in the last call. Uh, these are the starting points for the Vedanta school of Hindu philosophy. So those who are interested in studying the Vedanta, this is the starting point. Now, who, what are the Prasthanathrai, the Upanishads, the Brahma Sutras and the Bhagavad Gita? Now, the Upanishads are nothing but a section of the Vedas that deal with the philosophical knowledge. Now, later I will explain how the Vedas are split into different sections. 
there is a section attributed to the philosophical knowledge or the wisdom part those are called as upanishads and they are considered the cream of the vedas because that gives you the rasa the essence of the vedas right uh, now however for a lay for a layman like us it is it is not easy for us to understand the upanishads uh it is very difficult to interpret it so as a result to simplify the vedas brahma sutras were written which were meant to be a synopsis of the upanishads now it was written by veda vyasa to provide the philosophical conclusion the summary of the vedic knowledge that it is also called vedanta veda anta means the end of the study of the vedas meaning the culmination of the vedic thought now like the upanishads the brahma sutras is also very hard to comprehend and it is and its conciseness often leads to ambiguity and interpretation issues Uh, some background could you go on mute please thank you so there comes the bhagavad gita which is much more accessible than the above two scriptures and it provides a comprehensive and easy to understand summary of the vedic philosophy bhagavad means of god and gita means song hence bhagavad gita literally means the song of god so as we all know it is a dialogue which happened between the supreme lord shri krishna and his devotee arjuna on the kurukshetra battlefield in the middle of the mahabharata war right so it serves two main purposes bhagavad gita serves two main purposes now umesh ji spoke from a practical standpoint the importance of bhagavad gita and why bhagavad gita etc right one is the bhagavad gita imparts the brahma vidya what is the brahma vidya brahma vidya is the science of knowing the absolute truth and the purpose of bhagavad gita above everything else is to impart that brahma vidya to the disciple that is how to realize god so there are so many different streams of knowledge as available right there is science and maths and you know there is quantum physics and i i mean it can go on and on right now in each line of the science people are realizing that the more we study the more we learn we recognize that there is more and more that is still left to be learned which means that what we know is a small fraction of what is there yet to be known right there are new sciences emerging every year and you know that is a, it it's just that the, the the knowledge to be gathered is endless right it, it is it is literally impossible for any one person to know everything so this makes one wonder if there is even any one source of knowledge that can easily explain everything that exists in this universe what can that science be what can that line of knowledge be but according to the vedas there is such a branch of knowledge and that is the science of realizing the absolute truth that is the brahma vidya that is one absolute truth which has been referred by many names in different religions different uh, places to call them ishwar you call them bhagwan you call them god lord allah khuda you, you name it they all mean the same right all other truths all other lines of knowledge have emanated from it and they find their position in reference to the ultimate knowledge or ultimate truth 
Therefore, in the Vedas it says, Ekasmin vidyate sarvamidam vignatim bhavati. Means one who comes to know the absolute truth attains knowledge of everything else. You don't need to go after learning the different lines of sciences because once you know the absolute truth, the Brahma Vidya, you know everything else. Now, unable to deal with the problem at hand, uh, a mighty warrior like Arjuna had to approach Krishna for a consultation and a solution to overcome the anguish he was feeling, he was experiencing. And Krishna, instead of giving a point-blank answer to the question, which obviously Krishna could have very easily done, but he digressed in the middle of a war, right at the onset of a war, he gave a profound discourse on the philosophy of life. And that's why it becomes so important and so critical for all of us to understand deeper on why it is so important and why Krishna found it pertinent to give this knowledge to Arjuna at such a critical phase. The other aspect uh, that Bhagavad Gita serves to do is it teaches the practicality of the yoga. It, it gives the practical implementation tips and techniques and methods. Now as we know any science for it to be useful there should be a theory side of it, there should be a practical side of it. Even the best of the theories will 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 be will will fall short if there is no practical application of those sciences in our life, right? So therefore, if knowledge is not put into practice, it is just a intellectual exercise. So Bhagavad Gita it describes clear-cut techniques for implementing the spiritual percepts or precepts for everyday life. And these techniques, practical techniques are called as yoga. That's why each chapter in Bhagavad Gita is called a yoga. And hence the Bhagavad Gita is also called as a yoga shastra, meaning the scripture that teaches the practice of yoga. As we all know, there are 18 chapters, 700 verses. They are all designated as different types of yoga because they deal with different methodologies for application of the spiritual knowledge in our practical life. So that's the other thing. This Bhagavad Gita is not only a theory class, but there is an absolute possibility to start implementing what is its teaching in our practical life. And that is how the transformation will come about. As Umeshti said, this is a manual for human being, how to lead a life, right? And this is going to help us move from information to transformation. And very importantly, transformation only of the self. It is not to be used to change others. It is purely for changing oneself, right? So Bhagavad Gita is going to tell us how to bring about that change in our practical life, right? And that's why, you know, the chapters are named as yoga. There are sections in the Bhagavad Gita which are called as Karma Yoga, Jnana Yoga, Bhakti Yoga and so on, right? So we have seen that what does Bhagavad Gita teach us? It gives us the Vedic knowledge. It teaches us how to realize God, which is the Brahma Vidya and it gives us the techniques of implementing these things in our practice. Now let's try and understand why we should study the Bhagavad Gita. We all have goals in life, right? We are all very enterprising people, ambitious people, we all have goals. Short-term goals, long-term goals, very, very long-term goals and never-ending goals. Because 
then one goal gets fulfilled it gives rise to few more other goals nowadays they even have given a, a, a more sophisticated name called bucket list right so it, it goes on and and if you look at these goals of each individual people even if on this call if we take a survey and ask everyone to list their top three goals they will all be very different one person may want to buy a house another may want to buy a car uh, one is trying struggling to buy a house another might be struggling to sell a house uh, one want to be one would be struggling to get married another would be struggling to get out of a marriage so such goals are very individual specific and even though they sound completely conflicting and contradicting to each other they are still valid for that individual person right the other aspect is that these goals also change with time imagine a 10 year old boy he may not be playing with the same toy that he was playing when he was a 1 year or a 2 year old right he would outgrow those toys as he grows up right and he will evolve to bigger and more sophisticated toys so essentially what i'm trying to get to is that our taste our requirement and hence our goals change with time however some goals are very very basic and they are universal they apply equally to everybody and they don't change with time and they don't change with person to person a person living in singapore or australia or us will still have the same goal it never goes out of fashion with time so what are these goals the first one is security even the animals strive for survival a deer when it wakes up knows the fact that i have to be at my best i have to run the fastest if i have to live another day security is extremely important for everybody whichever part of the world you are at any point in time you are as a 20 year old as a 50 year old as a 80 year old security is important right and for that exact purpose there is a big insurance industry which is thriving right the next universal goal is i want to lead a peaceful life shanti nimmadi right so many different words so i want to be peaceful i want to be comfortable with myself i am hunting for peace going from one ashram to another ashram i go to one resort to another resort i buy farm houses resort houses you know house in hill station you you name it why so that i can find peace i can go and live peacefully so the second instinctive universal timeless goal is peace or shanti and the third universal goal is the desire for happiness once i am secure once i am peaceful then i want to be happy the desire for happiness the desire for fulfillment the desire for enjoyment right those are that is the third goal so security peace and happiness let's call it as sph don't confuse it for singapore press holdings it is security peace and happiness and all human beings all of us on this call everyone on this planet earth are running after these three only their methods may be different one may think that status will give me security and hence that person work towards gaining status 
another person may consider a lot of people around me will give me security so they will invest their time and energy in building network and building relations and so on another person might think that i should have a lot of property real estate and that's going to give me security some may think gold is going to give me security some will invest in stock some will try to you know reach a very high position a big job the list is endless right why do we go after all these things in order to get security and the means of security um, the means of seeking the security varies but the end is universal right nine none of us probably even would say why am i building so many relations why am i investing so much in stock market or why am i buying so many houses i may not be clearly be able to say i am trying to be secured but that is the underlying or the hidden reason why we try to do that similarly for peace also right and the same can be said for happiness also so so security peace happiness everybody is going after these three things now the scriptures point out that all these three are available within ourselves not only that the state the scriptures make another very disturbing statement that they say that not only these three are available within you they say they are available only within you which means they are not available outside so if you seek them outside all of them will continue to evade or elude you from that mirage called security peace and happiness so they can never be achieved outside and they can never be given by somebody else to someone else they are all within oneself only and bhagavad gita can help to understand how to find them within us so the question is that if security peace and happiness are within oneself then why is it not understood by everyone right why is it not understood by people why is there so much misery in this planet why are people endlessly unhappy anxious scared worried you know well, why why if it's all inside us it should be very easy right it is because it is hidden and covered like a treasure hidden underground and the scriptures point out that there are three layers which are covering this hidden treasure within us and that three layers is preventing us from enjoying the bliss of experiencing the security peace and happiness what are those three layers it says malam vikshepah and agnyanam malam means impurity right our hands are dirty we wash the hands with soap and we wash it with water our hands become clean right so malam or impurity refers to varieties of mental problems normally they are called as the six fold impurities the six fold enemies or the six fold obstacles to discovering our inner joy and what are those six fold impurities yeah kama krodha loba moha madha matsarya kama means desire desire is endless 
We fulfill one desire, it gives rise to more desires. Krodaha. When the desires are not fulfilled, they give rise to anger. Lobaha. Greed. You know, we, we don't stop with fulfilling our need. We go after fulfilling our greed. Mohaha. Delusion. Attachment. Right? Madaha. Arrogance or vanity. Matsarya, jealousy or competitiveness and comparison and so on. So these are the main six-fold impurities which are in our mind. They make the first layer of obstacles which prevent us from experiencing the bliss of security, peace and happiness because we are worried about our desires, our anger, our likes, dislikes and so on. Then the second layer of obstacle is Vikshepaha. What is Vikshepaha? Mental restlessness, anxiety, mental wandering. Our mind is constantly wandering here and there. It doesn't stay at one place. It is running after one, like a butterfly jumps from one flower to the other flower, our mind is jumping from one topic to the other topic. As a result of that, I am not able to see clearly what I want. When the water is turbulent, you cannot see the bottom of, at the, below the layer of water, right? It's like when the water is muddy, that is the water is impure, or when the water is very agitated, uh, you can't see clearly what's beneath the water. So, when the muddy water, that means water with impurities, malam, in turbulent water, which means it is uh, full of ikshepaha, when these two are there, don't see what is down below. Similarly, when the mind has got impurities and turbulence, you cannot recognize the truth behind. So, vikshepaha is nothing but chanchalyam or chanchalam, we call it Tamil, right? Uh, in Hindi also it's called the same, chanchal. One chanchal means you are, you are fidgety, your mind is fidgety, restless, anxious, it is running from one to the other and so on. And then the third obstacle is called ignorance, Atnyana, right? Ignorance of the fact that I am the only source of these three. I am the spring of Anandaha. I am the embodiment of security. I am full of peace. I have abundance of Shanti inside me. This fact, I am ignorant. So ignorance is the third layer. These three layers are preventing each of us from experiencing the bliss of security, peace and happiness. So what should we do? Very, very simple, right? Now that we know we have got a billion dollar open secret that I can find the ever elusive security, peace and happiness. It's all inside me. All I need to do is go inwards. Now I know it. So what should I do? I have to remove these three layers because I also know why I am not able to find it. Because of Malam, Vikshepaha and Atmiyana. So I have to remove these three layers. But how do I remove these three layers? It can be removed by an appropriate Sadhana. Sadhana means what? You would have heard this word Sadhana. Sadhana means any discipline or exercise. You may call it as a spiritual exercise or a spiritual discipline that one needs to practice, right? So remove these three obstacles 
and each of these discipline of sadhana is called a yogaha yogaha means that which unites the seeker with the destination yoga means that which unites the seeker which is myself with what with the ultimate security peace and happiness my destination that i want to achieve and the three yogas prescribed in the scriptures are called the karma yoga which is going to help us remove the first layer of obstacle which is the malas the impurities uh, the kama krodha the, the six fold impurities then the second yoga is called the upasana yoga it will help us to remove the second layer of obstacle which is our mental agitation and 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 fidgety nature and the third one is called the dhyana yoga which is going to help us remove the ignorance and within us so these three yogas is what bhagavad gita is all about the first six chapters are called a section devoted to karma yoga and then dhyana uh, yoga and bhakti yoga right so it says karma yogena mala nivritti upasana yogena vikshepah nivritti and dhyana yogena ajnana nivritti karma yoga is a lifestyle consisting of proper action plus proper attitude almost always we attach a good life or ideas life to only proper action i have not done any sins or you know i have generally been a good person or that person generally is a good guy we only associate the proper action aspect but there is a proper attitude that goes with it so any action which will primarily contribute the reduction of the impurities kama krodha nobha moha padam atsarya instead of increasing them is a karma yoga very very simple any action which will primarily contribute to the reduction of these six fold impurities instead of increasing them is a karma yoga when you have a proper attitude attached to that attitude towards action and more importantly attitude towards the result of the action a healthy attitude is what which will help me grow through every experience even though we would have gone through the most painful experience right a child birth is the most painful experience but it gives you absolute joy and delight karma yoga removes the first layer of impurity then the second yoga is upasana yoga which consists of different types of meditations so that the extrovert the turbulent restless outgoing meandering mind can find some relaxation some stability some calmness a stress free mind is what we get as a result of the upasana yoga so removal of removal of malam is equal to getting shuddhi through karma yoga and removal of vikshepah is getting nishchalatvam steadiness of mind through meditation upasana yoga and then comes the third yoga which is the gnana yoga it consists of once you have these two karma yoga and the uh, upasana yoga established you are then ready for the gnana yoga it consists of inquiry into my real nature who am i right do i require peace from outside is my state of peace in the hands of somebody else or i need to decide whether i am happy or not is my very nature peaceful jnana yoga consists of self inquiry atma vicharah 
right? And if a person goes through karma yoga, upasana yoga, jnana yoga, all these three thick layers of blockages, which is preventing the bliss from being experienced are removed, right? So that is the reason why Bhagavad Gita is so important. So just to summarize, right? I mean, Vedas are the scriptures that guide us through these three yogas and help us to tap our own wealth. It's all within us. None of us is rich or poor. Everybody has this in equal measure. Veda means source of knowledge. And these Vedas are revelations from the Lord Himself. He gave this knowledge when the universe was created. And the Vedas have come down to us through the Rishis. So God is the transmitting center and the Rishis are the receiving centers. And that's how they have been propagated through thousands of years. And these scriptures have survived for thousands of years. And they are still going strong. These Vedas have got four portions. The first portion is called the Mantra Bhagaha or the Samahita Bhagaha. Mantra and Samahita both mean the same. Then the second portion is called the Brahmana Bhagaha, which is also called as or referred to as the Karma Kandam and they teach us the Karma Yoga. The third part is called the Aranya Bhagaha. It gives us the Upasana Yoga. I'm talking about the, uh, the Vedas now, not Bhagavad Gita. Uh, it's also called as the Upasana Kandam. And then the fourth and the final part is called the Upanishad Bhagaha, which teaches us the Jnana or the Jnana Kandam. So you may ask, what is the value of Mantra Bhagaha? Because these are the three yogas we need, right? Karma Yoga, Upasana Yoga, and Jnana Yoga. So what is the first portion of the Vedas for? The Mantra Bhagaha, uh, what are they trying to do? They are very important because that is what teaches us all the suktams and how to pray to the various deities. And because only if we pray to Lord, we will be able to diagnose our problem. We will be able to attract the grace of God. And only with the grace of God we can achieve anything uh, in this in this world, right? So only a prayerful life will help us in getting our problems resolved. Only then will we come to even these yogas. The fact that today all of us are in this class is because we all have that nature within us that we pray to Lord, we surrender to Lord, we seek His help, and that grace has translated into where we are today. If Bhagavan's grace is not there, we will never be able to look inwards. We will be materialistic people eternally searching for security, peace and happiness outside in real estate even though it is very, very unreal, right? So, we will strictly be caught up in the materialistic way of living unless there is grace of God on us to help us, direct us to go inwards to find happiness and peace and security. And as we say, as we saw, the Vedas are very voluminous. It has got four branches. There is Rig Veda, Yajur Veda, Sama Veda, Tharvana Veda. Uh, uh, and, and Yajur Veda itself has two branches, Shukla Yajur Veda, Krishna Yajur Veda, and so on. So, because it's too hard for all the common people to learn, Lord himself, out of compassion, has given a condensed version of the Veda, consisting of all the three yogas, Karma Yoga, Upasana Yoga and Jnana Yoga and that's why it is called as Veda Saraha. Veda Saraha means the summary, the concentration essence of the Vedas as the Bhagavad Gita. It's a comparative, in comparison, relatively speaking, it's a very, very small work. It consists of 700 shlokas, which is very small compared to the original Vedas. As we all know, it occurs in the Mahabharata. 
It's a dialogue between Krishna and Arjuna. Uh, and it happens in the middle of the Mahabharata war. So, Vedas is not everybody's cup of tea, but Bhagavad Gita definitely is. So, if you learn the Gita, you have learned the entire Veda. You have got the gist of the Vedas. And therefore, all our traditional Acharyas point out that you may not be able to learn the Vedas and the original Upanishads, but it does not matter, at least learn the Gita. Shankaracharya says that if you do not study any scripture, at the minimum study the Bhagavad Gita. It will be useful in getting a new direction to your life. And it is this Bhagavad Gita Shastram, this Vedasara, which we are going to study together. Uh, so, generally should I continue? Like this? this is probably a logical point to stop here. Uh, uh, gee, it is still uh, 20 minutes is there. Maybe you, uh, you can again, can you can continue. summarize. Maybe you can again summarize each point. Uh, I can continue. I'll, I'll continue. Okay. 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 I'll, I'll give a very quick uh, short summary. Okay. So, sure. Yeah. Thank so, as you. I said, that there are three universal goals which are equally applicable to all humans, irrespective of whichever part of the world they live in, irrespective of what age they are, that is security, peace and happiness and they all are within oneself, it cannot be given by somebody from outside, it cannot be given by a father or a, by parents to their children or anything, it all have to be, it is exactly like the butter is hidden in the milk or the pearls are hidden deep in the ocean, but they are all there, they have to be discovered and brought out, right? Like a, like a sculpture says that a beautiful statue he makes by chipping a block of stone and that statue existed inside that stone. He's removed all the impurities, all the unwanted pieces, and then what results is a beautiful statue. It's something like that. These three are within us and we have to discover it. What's stopping us from discovering it? Malam, Vikshepaha, and Agnyanam. Right? What is Malam? Impurity. What kind of impurity? Sixfold impurity, sixfold enemies, sixfold obstacles, which prevent us from experiencing that inner joy. Tama means desire, ashe. Kroga means anger. Kova, I'm, I'm using Tamil, assuming most of the people on the call are Tamil. Lobaha, greed, perashe. Moha, delusion, mayai. And madaha means arrogance or ahambhava. Matsaryam is parame, jealousy, competitiveness. These six layers of impurities prevent us from experiencing our inner joy. So one can't find that inner joy till these six enemies are within us. The second layer of obstacle is vikshepaha, the mental restlessness, the mental wandering, mental agitation, right? We are, our mind is always jumping from one to the other, such is the nature of the mind. And that mind needs to be calmed, it needs to be tamed down, right? So that our mind can start seeing things clearly. And the third obstacle is called agnyanam, ignorance. Ignorance of the fact that I am very, very rich, I am very, very wealthy, I am equally wealthy like anybody else on this planet Earth. The entire source of that wealth is inside me. I am the exclusive, singular owner of this entire wealth which can give me security, peace and happiness. I am an embodiment of security, peace and happiness. The Shanti is within me. This ignorance is the third layer, right? 
So what we need to do, we need to remove these three layers, and these three layers can be removed by appropriate sadhana. Sadhana means any discipline or exercise, spiritual exercise, spiritual discipline, and we practice that spiritual exercise, we are able to remove these three layers of impurities or these three obstacles. And that practice is called yoga. And these three yogas are prescribed in the scriptures. They are called as karma yoga, to remove the sixfold impurities, Topasana Yoga to calm down the mind, and then the Jnana Yoga to remove the ignorance from us. Right? So what is Karma Yoga? Proper action plus proper attitude. Proper attitude or right attitude, not only towards the action, but also the result of the action. Very, very important. Healthy attitude is that which will help me. Which will help me. <coughs> It will help me grow through any experience irrespective of we attaching a label of profit or loss, success or failure from a worldly standpoint, right? Experience as once we are born on this planet, we are bound to experience ups and downs, right? We will go, one day we'll be up, another day we'll be down. It will be completely unexplainable. For no reason you may be feeling very elated, very happy, very uh, at the best of your mood. The next day, for no reason, nothing would have changed. You may be feeling very down and dull and all that. Right? It's all within us. Right? So, the Yoga will help us calm down the turbulence and the restlessness. And we get a stress-free mind. So, removing the malam, is removing the impurities, and removing the vikshepaha is removing the, the anxiety and calming down the mind. And then comes the readiness for us to acquire the Jnanam, the Jnana Yoga, it consists of inquiry into what is my real nature, can I get peace from outside, from others, is there a market or a shop where I can go and buy peace, happiness, security, am I dependent on somebody else to make me happy or is it completely exclusively in my control to experience security, peace and happiness. So, if a person goes through the Karma Yoga, Upasana Yoga, and Jnana Yoga, all these thick layers of blockages can be removed and they can experience that bliss of security, peace, and happiness. Right? So, this is what Shankaracharya has also said. At the minimum, study the Bhagavad Gita and it will have a completely new direction to your life. And that is what we are going to do. Uh, in the other next five minutes, maybe I'll give a quick introduction of the Dhyana Shlokas that we chant at the beginning of every class, uh, so that next class onwards we can start with Shloka 1 in Chapter 1. So, it's a very common practice to recite the Dhyana Shlokas of Gita before we study Gita during any, any uh, chapter or any class. So, why we do Dhyana Shlokas is we offer our respect to the God and to the other divine powers who made this Bhagavad Gita possible, right? So the Jnana Shlokas, they extol the virtues of the divine, right? And we will be chanting this every week before the beginning of the class. It was not given by Lord Krishna. It was not composed by Veda Vyasa. It was actually composed by Madhusudana Saraswati. Through these Shlokas, they are not part of Mahabharata, right? Uh, but it was written by Madhusudana Saraswati as part of his commentary on Gita, 
called Gudartha Deepika. He wrote a commentary on Bhagavad Gita called Gudartha Deepika and there he composed the Jnana Shloka. It consists of nine verses in which the saint pays his respect to the Bhagavad Gita itself, which is the song of the Lord, Veda Vyasa, the author, and then Lord Krishna, who is the preceptor, and Mahabharata, the epic. Right? So, so let me take a very small detour to understand the difference between Advaita and Dvaita. You all may have come across these two words and sometimes they have even got into a discussion, argument uh, on what is superior, what is the right thing to do and so on and so forth. Short answer, at our stage it doesn't matter. Right? Eventually they all are same. They are just different methods or different routes to get to the same end goal. Advaita propounds that this entire world is an illusion. It is not real. All actions and emotions including sorrow are just false impressions. Pain and pleasure, happiness and sorrow are all emotions experienced due to one self-identifying themselves as the body. Fundamentally, the soul and the God are one, the Atma and the Bhagavan are one, right? And the soul releases itself from this illusion and stops differentiating itself as the body, it merges with the Brahman, the universal consciousness. So that is what Advaita in very short summary is all about. They say everything that you see, physically touch, experience through your, sense, through your five senses is all unreal. When you eliminate everything, what remains is Brahman, the Lord, and that is the only reality. That is what Advaita is all about, which means that this universe is nothing but the Brahman. The Brahman, you may call it as Bhagavan for now, Ishwar for now, God as for now, for the want of a real word or a better word to understand Brahman, right? So Advaita says that entire universe is just one. Whatever you are seeing in this universe, mountain, tree, river, everything is that same Bhagavan, that same Brahman. And the Atman, the Paramatman is sitting inside each living being is nothing but the Brahman himself. So each of us are also nothing but a portion of the Lord. Right? So there is no two, everything is one. That is Advaita. According to Dvaita, the world is real. There is a God who is a creator of this world. He is also real. There is a natural difference between the ordinary ignorant soul, like all of us, who experience sorrow in this world, and the God who is omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, who knows everything. Right? This is the essence of Dvaita Siddhanta or Dvaita. Dvaita means duality, which means there is God and then there is everything else. So there is a creator and then there is a creation. Advaita says the creator and the creation is one and the same. It is the manifestation of the creator in so many different shapes and forms and species and landforms and so on and so forth. They are the same. Vaita says they are two distinct entities. That's the only difference. And where we are in the spiritual journey, it actually doesn't matter. It's, it's all the same. Right? So, 
whether you are caught in dvaita or advaita siddhanta don't worry it doesn't matter we will still be able to make progress in this journey and be able to uh, go inwards so shri madhavacharya said that the world is real the very thought helps in preventing escapism and motivates one to perform duties sincerely so sometimes people find dvaita to be a more compelling argument because it then gives an importance to that person right it says you are real right it also then establishes that there is someone super power than me which is god right and helps hence it helps me to look up and look forward to god with devotion it cautions us about his only presence and thus he says that always behave well always be at high moral standard because there is god who is there everywhere who is seeing you all the time and hence it forces us to behave in a righteous manner the only similarity between advaita and vaita philosophies is that of bhakti or devotion which is very very essential whether you are following advaita or dvaita bhakti becomes a very very important aspect and it's a common thread between the two at the highest level at the peak of your progress on these two lines there is absolutely no difference because when you reach that level you have already become one with god so it is not important for us to be trapped in the technicalities at all right uh i'll probably stop here we have 10 more minutes remaining for any questions comments feedback or anything uh yes. so hari om jai shri krishna thank you for the opportunity krishna paramastu Uh, yes, G. Yeah, yeah. You can go ahead, G. Please, yeah. Any comments um, from anyone of in the call? Um, hi, I just had a question, and thank you so much for that wonderful uh, introduction to the Gita. Um, my name is Santosh, and I'm calling in from Singapore. And uh, I just had two questions. Um, the first question is. Um, I'm learning about hatha yoga and kriya yoga so I'm learning to practice the sudarshan kriya with the art of living and at the same time do some yoga which helps me uh with stability of the mind which is uh, the the second point that you mentioned which is vikshepa that's mental turbulence wandering meandering stressful yeah. and restlessness and that helps me a lot with uh the second layer or second layer of obstacles in my mind yeah uh, so yeah the question is how does uh, hatha yoga and kriya yoga fit into the threefold um yogas that were espoused in the bhagavad gita which is karma upasana and gyan yoga so this is the first question yeah uh then the second question is i'm also trying to uh, marry this hindu or uh this this philosophy from the bhagavad gita with what is taught in the western world from the lens of psychotherapy and psychology and um the the key thing i'm working on within myself right now is uh trauma work or the kind of um the the kind of uh, what do i call um um it, it's a lot about inner work so it's about understanding what are my patterns my uh my triggers within me um my shadows within me which leads to desire anger greed delusion arrogance and jealousy and how do i like marry what i learned with regards to the the western psychological school of thought uh you know where you you 
you understand who you are and your trauma from uh, young and from maybe past lives and from the entire uh, lineage of humanity or human history and how, how do I like work on that because I think a lot of conflicts that we face in the material world are relational conflicts and how is that addressed in the Bhagavad Gita? So these are the two questions I have. Thank you, Santoshi. Fantastic questions, actually. Uh, um, I don't know whether I can do justice to the <laughs> questions you asked. I'll make an attempt. Firstly, I'll answer the second part of the question that you asked. The, the Western philosophy of... <coughs> uh, in fact, as we study the Bhagavad Gita, it clearly enumerates, first of all, the, the Sanatana Dharma, right, our Hindu way of living, clearly talks about so it is a cycle of birth and death, it is on an autopilot mode and you know uh, it is a big line of study itself to understand. So I'll give you a very quick one minute explanation maybe. We have this body with which we identify each person, right? This is person A, person B, person C and so on and we distinguish them. There are different layers within the body. The physical body is like the outside packaging material that you receive from a Amazon or a Flipkart. And then inside that, there is a sukshma sharira, right? There is the mind and then there is the intellect. And then as you keep going inside, that's where the Paramatman is. Now, when a person physically dies, right? And there is science trying to determine actually, even the Westerners are trying very hard to understand what exactly leaves the body when somebody dies. Nobody has ever seen anything leaving the body. That's the prana which only our scriptures are able to explain, right? It's that consciousness, that chaitanyam which leaves, which 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 makes the difference between the living and the dead. Uh, without digressing, and I'll get back. So our actions, our thoughts, our words leave an imprint of what we call as vasanas, right? And that vasanas accumulation of those vasanas in one's lifetime, they, you, in very simplistic word, you can treat like your bank book, right, passbook, debit and credit, right? Are you adding to your balance or are you uh, reducing from your balance? Are you are you adding more papas or more punya, right, based on your words, uh, words actions uh, and, and thoughts? And that then decides what type of a birth you are going to have in your next janma. Depending on your your, your accumulation, you may either have a superior birth, so there is no guarantee that this birth you have got as a human is going to result in another human birth in the next Janma. If you have deteriorated, if you have degraded in your actions, thoughts, etc., you could even take a lower order creature, like it could be some animal, some insect, you know, something, uh, or if you have lived a more righteous life, you have more than Papa, you may have a better uh, life than this. You could become a demigod. You may you may transcend beyond the planet Earth, and you know you may become a deva. But all these are temporary. They all have to come back because the cycle of birth and death applies even to an Indra, right? It's just that they have accumulated so much punya that they go to that level, exalted levels. But they have to come back. There is only one way out of the cycle and that is that permanent alignment with Lord and that is what the moksha is all about, the nirvana is all about, 
that is what Bhagavad Gita is teaching. So to come back to your question, Bhagavad Gita, as we study the subsequent chapters, you'll realize that it clearly enumerates how our vasanas and how our actions, what they should be, how they should be, how that will help us progress in that direction towards achieving moksha, right? So that's the uh, that's the second part of the question that you asked. The first part is was more about kriya yoga and the hatha yoga and all. Those are uh, more towards the physical poses and body poses and so on, right? Uh, that's 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 again very important because the physical body is very important uh, for a for a healthy mind to operate. It will, uh, as you have been practicing it, you will probably understand that it is, it is going to give you a lot of physical benefits in terms of flexibility, in terms of stretching every nerve and every muscle in your body uh, and so on. Hatha is force, right? Uh, so it's, it's, it's stretching every part of your body, that, that physical body that you got, you are, you are keeping it in top shape by, by practicing those yogas and then uh, uh, the the, the, the mental side of things, the meditative aspects of it that you talked about uh, uh, in the in the Kriya Yoga is, is also helpful. They will all dovetail together that the yoga, the word yoga in Bhagavad Gita has got nothing to do with the physical poses or asanas at all. They are completely not related. Even though the word sounds safe, they are, they are not related at all. Uh, so that's, that's very important to understand. So the yoga word in Bhagavad Gita is, is more referring to a sadhana, is more referring to a discipline. Uh, the yoga word in Hatha Yoga is more a posture and the asana that, uh, that we follow. Santoshji, I hope I could answer at least to some extent your question. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Any other question, comments, feedback? How was the speed? Do you want me to regulate the speed? Go slow, go.